for your word tonight in this Bible study. We thank you for your anointing and your spirit. God, we ask you to bless everybody that is here right now to hear this teaching, God. We give you the glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, tonight we're going to start Search for Truth. This is Search for Truth 1. And uh, this is the particular Bible study that I like. You may have Search for Truth 2. If you do, that's fine also. They're both real, real good Bible studies. Uh, I'm just partial to this particular one because I know it a little bit better. Uh, Search for Truth. Okay, is everybody there? Ready? Are you ready? Okay. Open your heart when you open your Bible. Three things. Number one, we're not here to argue the Scripture. Number two, we're not here to ask you to join our church. Okay? Praise the Lord. We just want to open our hearts when we open our Bibles to see what God is saying. Okay? There's a picture of the house up here on this. There's a story of a family that moved into a two-story house. When they got there, they were having a real hard time making ends meet. They hardly had any money to eat, etc., and just had a real difficult time. Later on in this two-story house, they found in the attic, they found some gold and jewels, etc. The whole time they were living in that house, they didn't realize it, but there was treasure in the attic. And that's the way it is with the Word of God. It is a treasure that is in most people's houses. It's full of all kinds of treasure, value to tell you how to live in this life, have an abundant life here, but also teach you how to get in eternity where to go, okay? But people don't realize how valuable this is and how much of a treasure this is. Sometimes people fold, um, put flowers in it, press flowers with it. Some people put a big old Bible on their desk for, for a decoration. This Bible is the bestseller of all times, but it's read the least in comparison to how much it's been sold. But we want to be like this family that discovered the value and the treasure in their attic. We want to open the Bible and see the treasures that's on the inside of it. This Bible has been held by weeping mothers. It's been held by kings. It's been held by presidents. And as we open it, we pray that it'll be a, a great search for truth for you tonight. In the 1800s in California, they, they tried to find gold. Search for gold. Sold houses. Left families. Left their dwellings and went to California to find gold. For something that's just a passing thing. But this treasure that we have right here, if we will open it and study it, has eternal value to it, not just temporary value, value to it. Amen. General view of the Old Testament. A good way to remember the books of the Old Testament, how many books are in the Old Testament, is to take the three letters of old, the nine letters of Testament, put those together. Three and nine. Thirty-nine books in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was an expectation and a longing to find God. Job said this in Job 23 and verse 3. He said, Oh, that I knew where I might find Him. God has placed in the heart of man a, a vacancy. In fact, Ecclesiastes, the Bible says, God put eternity in our hearts. 
So that vacancy that's in our heart, only God can fill. It's a God-sized void. A long time ago, I, I came across some information about a physician who studied the heart of man. And he discovered that there's a sac in that, the area of the heart. And he, they have no, un, no really uh, reason or understanding of why it's there. It's just an empty, void sac. And I believe that it, it is teaching you that there is a vacuum or a void in the heart of man without God. So Job in the Old Testament said, oh, I, oh, that I knew where I might find him. And that's really the heart cry of all men because we've got eternity in our hearts. And only God can fill that place. Nothing in this world can take the place of God. Nothing can satisfy you. So there is a, the, the general view or the theme of the Old Testament is a longing to find God. The Old Testament is breaking up into five sections. We have the law. <clears throat> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Written by Moses. It has this, the moral law and the ceremonial law within it. Also the creation of God. Five books of the law. Then we have the history books. Twelve history books in the Old Testament. This specifically deals with the history of the nation of Israel. Okay? And that takes you from Joshua th to Esther. Then you come to the next section, and that's, these are the poetry books from Job to the Song of Solomon. Now, they're not just books of poetry, but in them you find praise, you find prayer, you find prophecy, okay, in these books. So, there's a lot in the poetry books. And as you're teaching this, you can actually go through each one of these books and explain a little bit if you want to, but I'm not, for the sake of time, going to do that. Then you have 17 prophetic books. Uh, in this division, they're called five major and then twelve minor prophets. When I teach this, when I talk about the major prophets, five major and twelve minor, I try to stress the fact that these men are not, you know, less than the major prophets, the minor prophets less than the major prophets. The reason why they call them major and minor prophets is the size of their books, not the importance of what they wrote. Okay? It's kind of strange, though, because actually, when you look at this, Daniel is in the major, five major section. Hosea is in the minor prophet section. Hosea's got more chapters in it than Daniel. So really, this is not a, you know, a great, great breakdown of the Old Testament. That, but it serves the purpose of giving people a general understanding of the breakdown. Law, history, poetry, and prophecy. Okay? It took 1,400 years for these men to write these books in the Old Testament, 1,400 years. They were written by all kinds of men with all kinds of background. Isaiah was a brilliant court preacher. Amos was a, basically a shepherd preacher. David was a king. You got all kinds of backgrounds of these different men, but there's no contradictions in the Bible, in the Old Testament, with all that difference of background. It's, it's the Word of God. So you have different writers, but you have one author. And that's the Spirit of God. That's why there is no contradiction in the Word of God. 1,400 years in the writing of the books, it covers 3,600 years of man's day. Okay, Genesis 1-1. Turn there in your Bibles, please. The Bible says this, in the beginning God created the heaven 
and the earth. He created it. The word create means he brought it into existence without any previous material. The way he did it was he just said, let there be, and there was. The Bible doesn't tell us where God came from. It just starts out with God. And it tells us he, he created it by his word. Okay, you with me here? Praise God. Evolution is a false teaching. It's not biblical. God didn't use evolution to create anything. He just created it. You with me here? You understand that, right? Okay. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before the creation, we don't really have time. Creation marks time. Before creation, all you have is God. Okay? At some point, He created the cherubim, the angels. But before He created them, all you had was God. He's always been here. There's never been a time when God wasn't. He's always been here. So before he created the cherubim, before he created creation, it was just God all by himself. Praise the Lord. He's awesome, isn't he? He created the heavens and the earth. And so when he created, he also created in the heavens, he created the angels to inhabit those, the heavens there. To give him glory. As they were giving him glory, of course, he said, let there be. And he created uh, the, the earth, okay? I got that, right? Okay, the f creation of the earth. First day, light appears. Light and darkness are divided. So let's read that. In verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning... For the first day. So the first thing God did was he brought light into. Now you'll notice over in the fourth day when we get there. That's when the planets appear. But it tells us in the first day. That's when God. Let me read it to you. God saw the light that it was good. God said let there be light. And there was light. So he created the light in the first day. But they appeared in the fourth day. Now, it may be that the light that he's talking about, let there be light, was actually God's light. His glory. Okay? Because it's not till the fourth day that we actually have the, the sun and the moon, the sun for the day and the moon for night, uh, to govern and, and put light on the earth. Are you with me here at this point? Okay. But anyway, God brings light. Second day, he divides the water above from the waters below. Let's read verse Six And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So we're talking about the first heaven, the atmosphere, okay? The atmosphere, when you talk about waters being divided, the waters above being divided from the waters below... The atmosphere or water, in this room right here, there is water in the vapor form. It's atmosphere, okay? Above that is the second heaven. That's where the stars are. And the third heaven is the throne of God. This, where it talks about the firmament or heaven, it's talking about the atmospheric heaven. So God created the atmosphere, all right? So we are literally breathing water in its vapor form. When planes travel, they're like ships that travel on the sea. 
When planes travel, you know, they hit those air pockets and whatnot. It's like a, a ship hitting the waves of the sea as the plane is traveling. So it's nothing more than an atmosphere of water. Now, the word there, it says, and let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. That's talking about this canopy. Now, in your Bible study, this is not going to be in there. But just for your information, there is a canopy in the original creation that was, was a solid type material. All right? When the flood came, the canopy busted apart. And so things have changed from what it once was. But anyway, the point here is that the firmament of the heaven is the atmospheric heaven. The third day, we see here, let's read uh, verses 9 through 13. God said, let the waters, we already read that, right? What verse is that? Okay, and God said, let, let the waters of the heaven be gathered together unto one place. Thank you. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, the gathering together of the waters called he sees, and God saw that it was good. Okay, so now we have the earth coming up out of the covering of water. It's literally resurrecting. Got it? The earth is resurrecting. So all the way back in the Old Testament, we see the third day is a day of resurrection. It's coming up out of the earth to appear above the water. Got it? Okay, let's keep reading. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. Okay, so now God, I, liter I believe this, that God literally, let me read this to be sure. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb yielding seed after his kind, the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. I believe that God literally puts in the earth everything in fullness, in full grownness. That the trees were full grown, that every plant was full grown. And within those trees and in those plants, there was the seed. Okay? Now, the seed that were in that plant would cause other plants to come into existence. You know that. What is interesting about the seed of a plant is that you can take one seed and you can plant it in the earth. And in four years, there's enough seed that that one seed has produced to replant or plant the whole United States of America out of one seed. So God literally put this, the, the vegetation and the trees in the earth and then they produce seed after their kind. From there, there, then on, okay? You got that, right? Okay. So the third day, then we got the earth and the sea is divided. We got the grass and the trees are brought forth. On the fourth day, the sun and the moon are given for light. Let's look at verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So the fourth day is the first day that we have a marker of time. The days preceding that, we don't have a marker of time other than the Word of God. The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. The evening and the morning was the third day. I believe those to be literal 24-hour days. So that's a time marker, all right? But as far as the earth having a time marker, times and seasons, etc., 
That doesn't come until the fourth day. When the sun and the moon are given for light. The sun is given to rule by day. The moon by night. Sometimes if you feel led. You can throw in that this is a top. The sun's a top of Jesus. And the moon's a top of the church. <clears throat> okay. And that Jesus came in the fourth day of history. That depends on how you feel led in the spirit. But it not only tells us that they are given as markers for time. <clears throat> but it tells us also. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven. To give light upon the earth. And it was so. Okay. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Okay. Now go back to verse 14. It says, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, and for days and years. So not only a marker of time, but they are given to be signs. And that means prophetic signs. So they're placed by God to teach you about God. Okay? And prophecy. The fifth day, we have the sea creatures. The fowls of the air are created by God. Let's read that, verse 20 through 23. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. So it, the way it sounds there, it sounds like that not only were the sea creatures created on the fifth day, but also that the fowls of the air came out of the water. And they flew above the firmament of the heaven, so they were born out of, out of the water. With me here? Born of the water and the spirit. So that it gets a picture of the church. That we're born of the water and the spirit. Got it? Okay. So we have the fowls of the air. The sea creatures are created by God on the fifth day. On the sixth day. Verses 24 through 31. And God said let the earth bring forth. But now we got the earth bringing forth the living creature after his kind. Cattle. That's domesticated animals. And creeping things, that's like lizards and dinosaurs, etc. That's when they would have been created. And the beast of the earth after his kind. That's the non, uh, or the untamed animals. And it was so. God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind. And everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. So they're reproducing after their kind. So there's no way that man can come from an ape. Because apes produce apes, etc., etc. So it's after their kind. Now, then the Bible says in this sixth day that God's going to create man. Verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image. Our image. After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and, be mul and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. There was only one man. Right? One man in his image. Not three men. One man. 
So that when God comes in the form of man, he comes as God in the flesh. There's one man. There's not three in the Godhead. In his image. Now, he's, now watch this. On the sixth day, he's standing up. He's created. Man is created by God on when? The sixth day. And on the sixth day, that's when he receives his bride. Jesus is the image of God. One image. The Father enfleshed in Jesus. One man, one body. He is going to receive his bride in the sixth millennium. With me? At the end of the sixth millennium. Because he received, Adam receives his bride at the end of the sixth day. Now, I say that because each one of these days it is believed represents history. That there's 6,000 years of man's day and in the seventh day, God rested from all that he made. So we're in man's day right now. At the conclusion of man's day, the sixth millennium, and we're at the beginning of the day of the Lord, the day of rest, and at the end of the sixth day, Adam received his wife. So at the, at the end of the sixth millennium, God will receive, or Jesus will receive, his bride. You with me here? Now, if it's 2003, that means it's about 6,003 years from Adam. So we've already begun the seventh day, if that's correct. I'm just trying to show you where we are in time. Okay. So God created the cattle, the beast, and the first man, Adam. He put him in the garden. God rested from all that he made so that, boy, I'm, see, I'm trying to be careful here because I don't want to go off here and teach things that you're not going to be teaching in the Bible study. Other than to say this, that this is a type of the future. Okay? And when Adam woke up, he woke up in the finished work of the rest of God. When man sinned, though, he lost his relationship to God. He lost his rest with God. And so God has to come and work, bring his work of redemption to us. God finished the work of creation. He's already done that. Some people say today that God's still creating things, that he's still creating planets, etc. Well, I don't know about that. I'm not God, but I know this. The Bible said that God finished so I don't think that God is still out there creating new planets and new solar systems and new stars. Okay? I believe it's expanding, but I don't believe He's creating new planets, etc. He finished the work of creation. He rested from that work of creation. And Adam just, he's, he's made alive and just enters into what God has already done. But when man sinned, then he lost that. So God has to come, and instead of doing a work of creation, He's now going to do the work of recreation. He has to bring salvation. Remember this? He said, I work, the Father worketh hitherto, and I work. So the work He finished from is creation, not redemption. He had to come out of retirement, so to speak, in a sense, to redeem man. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. So not only were the heavens and the earth finished, but all the hosts, the inhabitants, the angelic host, etc., were finished. Now this is powerful. To me, this reaches into the future. But I'm not going there. 
I'm really trying very hard. That's why I'm having a difficult time teaching this. Because I want to stay with basic Bible study. Okay, Adam and Eve. Now, we're talking about dispensations now. Adam and Eve, when they were created, were created in the dispensation called innocence. Now, a dis- when you talk about dispensation of innocence, this is a, a term of, that scholars have. Okay? It is a biblical term, though, that God works in epochs of time. You with me here? Or dispensations of time. Or economies. God has economies or epochs of time or, or times in which He works in specific ways. Let me explain. Dispensation is a Bible word. It's in the New Testament. Dispensation is this. It's God dealing with man according to some specific revelation of His will. At the end of that dispensation, after He's revealed His plan to man, it always is followed by judgment. So, in the dispensation of innocence, God said this. He revealed God, God revealed His will to man. You with me here? Do you understand what dispensation means? A dispensation is a period of time in which God deals with man according to some specific revelation of His will, followed by judgment. Got it? Okay. So, in this dispensation called innocence, they're warned of the consequences of sin. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So God reveals His plan to man. You can eat of all the trees, but one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat that tree, you shall die. So they know His word. They know His plan for that time, right? Okay. Here comes the serpent. The serpent, or really the devil disguised, transformed into a serpent. He's speaking through a serpent. This serpent, or the devil, comes and starts talking to the woman and to the man. The devil has already been cast down. He's already fallen to the earth, or cast out of the heavens to the earth. So he's already in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve is there. Now, the devil rebelled against God. He tried to usurp the throne of God, and because of that, he was cast out of heaven. So now we find him in the earth. And he comes, this is very interesting. He comes to try to make Adam and Eve fall or disobey God. See what I'm saying? Wow. That's what he did in the heavens, and because he did that, he was cast out. So now he wants to try to get man to disobey God and be rejected by God. So he comes, he's the most subtle beast of the field. He's very deceptive. He tempts Adam and Eve to eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, which was forbidden by God. So they know the plan of God. They know what the will of God is for that period of time. But the devil's focus It's to try to get them to disobey that word, okay? The word of God and sin against God. Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit. Let's go to Genesis 3. and We'll read that. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. Good for food, pleasant to the eyes. 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God working in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. So now because man has sinned, he's disobeyed God. Now, the first time you hear the word fear has entered into the Bible. When we disobey God, we sin against God. Fear is always the result. We always walk in fear when we're not walking with God like we should. So the first time we hear the word fear is after the fall of man, after they've disobeyed God. And also they are naked. They feel naked. They look naked. They look at each other. So that when you go and buy clothes for your body, that's a testimony to the fact that man has fallen. Because if we weren't fallen, we wouldn't be wearing clothes today. We'd be clothed with the glory of God. Psalms 8 tells us they were clothed with the glory of God. But because man fell, the glory of God left him. The Spirit of God separated from man. And now so he's, he noticed that he's naked. And so he seeks to clothe himself with fig leaves. But God kills an animal. In this chapter, he kills an animal and he clothes Adam with the skins of an animal, teaching man that the covering of his sin has to come by blood. Okay? You just can't, you know, try to cover your sin up by your own good works. You've got to cover it by the blood of an animal. It is believed that this animal skin was a leopard skin. That God killed the leopard and clothed man with the leopard skin. Later on when we studied Nimrod, y'all remember Nimrod? Nimrod wore a leopard skin. It is believed that he got the leopard skin that God gave Adam and put it on himself, claiming to be the new Lord of the earth. Are you with me here? Y'all can just throw that in if you want to, but you don't have to. The point is, though, it took blood sacrifice to cover the sin of man. And God is the one who supplied the sacrifice. So they're walking in fear. They're listening to the devil. They should have never listened to the devil. They've disobeyed God. They've taken the fruit and they're eating it. And because of that, they're afraid and they're naked. But God covers them with the skins of an, of a, of an animal. So we have the fall of man. Fall. Man has fallen. Before the fall of man, there was no pain. There was no sorrow. There was no sickness. There was no death. It was an, a wonderful, awesome, perfect environment. A place that they were created in innocence. But even in a perfect church, people fall away from God. Even in a perfect family, People disobey God. You got the point, don't you? Sometimes, well, <sighs> children of the redeemed, raised in church, backslide. In a perfect church and in a perfect Christian home, and I say perfect, you know what I'm talking about? 
raised in that environment, they still backslide because they've got a nature they can choose. God gave man the ability to choose. God didn't want a bunch of puppets that he can do this with. If he had a bunch of puppets that he could do this with, there wouldn't be an Ad Abraham to choose to walk by God, with God by faith. You with me here? So God doesn't get glory out of puppets. So he made man a free moral agent, so to speak. So man chose, but he chose against God. And when he chose against God, then we have nakedness, we have fear, we have pain, sickness, and death has entered into the human race as a result of the fall of man. Now, Adam is the head of the human race. So what he does, he passes that on to everybody that's born from him. Hallelujah. So that's how you and I became, we were born in sin. Because we got the, the nature of Adam. But a new, a last Adam comes along, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from the fall of man. To restore us back to what the first Adam lost. He lost rest. He lost the presence of God. You with me here? He's walking in fear. He's got death in it, uh, around him now that's going to be around him now. Are you here? Jesus, God said this, and the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And he died a spiritual death. So he's got all kinds of calamity and problems because of his fall. But Jesus came to redeem us from that fall. Okay. What time is it? Got about seven more minutes. Innocence, as we said before, every dispensation ends in judgment. So God revealed to man his purpose, his plan. They disobeyed God, and as a result of that, they're judged because of that. There's an expulsion. They're cast out of the garden. Cast out of the garden. As a result of the fall, the scripture tells us, first of all, that the serpent is cursed. The serpent is cursed that on his belly, he will eat the dust of the ground. The serpent's cursed. Number two, curse comes upon the woman. With me? In sorrow, she will bring forth children. Sorrow and in pain. So every time a woman is in childbirth giving birth to a baby, the great pain that she's going through is because of the fall. Her menstrual period is a result of the fall. Okay? Man's curse, though, is the ground is cursed for his sake. And by the sweat of his brow, he has to make a living. Watch this. In that ground, that ground is cursed. Now, we've got all kinds of weeds growing up. The cockle bear. Is that the right way to say it? The cockle bear? The sticker? You know what I'm talking about? It produces two seeds. Cockleber, thank you. Cockleber. It produces two seeds. One, one year it produces from one, that one seed. Another year it produces from the second seed. It produces two seeds. If the seed of the cockleber is damaged that year, that second seed automatically comes up. So that for every good plant that has to be worked at and harvested and labored over, now because of the fall, before it wasn't like that. Adam just walked in the garden just... He just kept it till it guarded it from the enemy, you know. Just went over there and basically picked the fruit. That's all he had to do. But now he's got to work by the sweat of his brow. He's got to bring home bread that way. Hard labor, you know. And so the good 
plants. It's hard to grow them. It's hard to cultivate them. But the bad plants, we call bad plants, the weeds, they just grow, grow, grow. That's the result of the curse. So the serpent was cursed. The serpent's cursed. He's going to eat the dust of the ground. He literally does that when he gets his victim. He rolls it in saliva and dirt. Then he swallows it. Curse on the woman that she's going to in pain give birth to children. We know that's still with us today. And man has the mark of the beast. By the sweat of his brow, he's going to produce a living. He's no longer in the rest of God. Are you with me here? Because of the fall. Now, look at this. We got... On the beautiful rose, we got thorns, we got these bushes coming up. And then here we see that man is driven from the garden. Why? So that he will not eat of the tree of life. He's already eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, the problem is, see, man, the devil lied to him, said, You shall be as God, knowing good and evil. It is true that man would know good and evil by experience. But he would not have the ability to say no to the evil and say yes to the good that he knew. Are you with me here? Wow. Which, man, which takes us into Romans. You know, Paul said, the things that I would, I do not, etc. So you can know good and still not do it. You can know what's wrong and still do it. Because you've now got a fallen nature. And because you've got a fallen nature, unless that you get a new nature in you, you can't overcome sin and you can't do what's right. So he gave man just half the truth. Didn't, and man did not get the results that he was looking for. He didn't get the results that the enemy seductively promised him. You shall be as gods knowing good and evil. Every lie of all cults that say you can become a god goes back to this lie. Man did not get the results that he was looking for. Nobody ever does. When the devil comes to you and tempts you. See, I'm starting to get anointed now and it's been thorough. Uh, i got to quit. But when the devil comes to you to tempt you to sin against God, he will promise you things, but when you sin, they never happen. All you've experienced is death and sorrow and grief and pain and sickness and fear. That was the results of it. But the enemy loves to talk to all of us. He'll come to you and he'll talk to you and tell you, oh, it's better out there in the world. It's not better out there in the world. Because as soon as you disobey God, disobey his word, what happens? Life leaves you. You feel that death, that pain, that sorrow. So they didn't get what he promised them. And the, what happened was they got a curse. Because they disobeyed God. Y'all still awake? The curse. The promise though. Genesis 3.15 And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy soul. And I can, no, we're talking about, we're going to stop right there. But Hallelujah. <laughs> What God is going to do is He gave man, He gave us a promise. He tells us in verse 15, prophetically, I'm going to put in between, between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Who's the seed of the woman? Jesus is the seed of the woman. 
So there's enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Who is the seed of the serpent? Antichrist. And all of those who follow him. They are at enmity. They are at war with the seed of the woman. Jesus Christ and his offspring. There is a conflict going on. The conflict of the ages. The sons of ser the serpent and the sons of God. From Genesis to Revelation, they're there. That enmity is there. I'm telling you, from Genesis to Revelation, it's there. Okay. Now, the Bible says, though, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. The head of the serpent is where the poison is. So he's going to come down and bruise his heel. When he's crucified on the cross, the serpent's going to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, the virgin-born son of God. When this, come on, are you with me? When Jesus is crucified, he literally crushes the head of the serpent. His heel is bruised. It's such a powerful blow to the head of the devil that it literally bruises the head of the son of God. So his heel is bruised. He was pierced through, but... The head of the serpent is crushed through Jesus Christ. So the devil's defeated. And it's not a great big devil and a wee little God. It's a great big God and a wee little devil. I don't know how to tell you how to teach this other than just teach it by unction. Because, I mean, the way I teach it's not going to be exactly like your manual. But read your manual. I read the whole thing before I came to church tonight. Probably hadn't said any of it. <laughs> don't do what I do. <laughs> So we have a promise. And we talked a little bit about it before. Romans 5, 19. Let's go there and I'm going to have to stop. Praise God. That's why. Went, no. Romans 5. five nineteen. Y'all there? New Testament. We have a promise. That he would come. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did, that, did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus is, is the promised one who came to restore everything that man lost in the garden. Okay, you with me here? Now the scripture says that this angel, this cherubim was placed in the eastern side of the garden to keep the way of life. Now watch. They can't eat the tree of life in a state of sin. If they do, they'll live forever in a state of sin. But this angel here, see God's presence was in that garden. We know that because God was looking for Adam. God's presence was there. For him to be cast out of the garden is to be cast out of the presence of God. But God made a way through sacrifice, blood sacrifice, to come back into his presence. This angel is not there to keep man out of God's presence. It's there to keep man's ability to come into God's presence available. 
by blood sacrifice. Which brings us to the next part of the lesson. And this has to do with Cain and Abel. Their approach to God. You with me here? And that's the second dispensation. And we will talk about this next week. Lord bless you for coming. We need to dismiss for prayer. So let's just ask God's blessing. Father God, we just thank you right now. For this time, God, to study your word. Thank you for your people's desire to teach people. All over Odessa, Texas, the Word of God, search for truth. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for all the souls that are going to be won and brought into the kingdom as a result of the labor of your people, putting the Word of God inside of other people. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Okay, so next week we'll talk about the second dispensation. It's conscience. Man has fallen. He knows what's right and wrong. He's got a conscience. You are dismissed to prayer. Okay, let's go to Genesis chapter 4, and we'll finish up the first lesson. Trying to keep this lesson within an hour or so, because that's what you're trying to do out there. And so we're in the second dispensation is conscience. Does everybody remember what a dispensation is? Okay, it's a period of time in which God deals with man according to some specific revelation of his will. Followed by judgment. Okay, we have Adam and Eve. They give birth to Cain and Abel. <clears throat> At the time of their birth, I'm sure as they begin to grow up, that as they sit around the campfire, as your Bible study says, that they discussed, and I say they, Adam and Eve, discussed with Cain and Abel, the fact that there was a time when there was no sin, no sorrow, no pain, no sickness, nothing like that, that it was a perfect environment, perfect situation before man fell into sin which is no longer. And so they also told them about a promised Savior that was going to come. We look at Cain and Abel, and we see that Cain kills Abel. Let's look in chapter 4, please. Concerning the birth of Cain, it says this, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord Literal translation is, I've got a man, the Lord. So she thought that the the child that she was going to give birth to was actually the promised seed. She thought that he was to be the Lord. So she gives birth to Cain with this very high thinking that he is the Lord. And then verse 2, and she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. It came in process of time. It came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock, and of the fat thereof, the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain to his offering he had no respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? So first of all, we see that they knew that they needed to bring a sacrifice to cover their sins. And so what they did is Cain was a tiller of the ground, and he brought something from the cursed earth. Really, the cursed earth is not, not the big issue. The issue is that he did not bring blood. So he brought a bloodless sacrifice to try to cover his sin. That was rejected by God. Abel, on the other hand, he brought a blood sacrifice to cover his sins. And he did it by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So he knew by the Word of God what he was supposed to do. And so he brings a blood sacrifice. That's accepted by God 
Cain's sacrifice is rejected. It's a bloodless sacrifice. As a result of his sacrifice being rejected, then the Bible says that Cain was very wroth. So God tells him, number one, your sacrifice has been rejected. And number two, God asks him, why are you full of wrath? And so Cain is just going to fall into a darker and darker situation. Because when God said, your sacrifice is not accepted, he should have looked at Abel and said, well, Abel's was accepted, so Lord, I repent of that sin, and I bring the same kind of sacrifice that Abel brought. Just repent and do it right. That's all he had to do was repent and do it right. But he let his um, pride get in the way, right? His pride got hurt. And so instead of just repenting and doing it the right way, he gets an attitude. He gets full of wrath. And so God not only questions his sacrifice, but he questions his attitude. He said, why are you angry? Why are you full of wrath? And that makes Cain even more angry. Because not only has God questioned his sacrifice, but God has questioned his attitude. Okay? I mean, why doesn't the guy just do what's right? If he does what's right, he'll be accepted. But see, that's pride. His pride is hurt. Okay, let's go on. The Bible says, it tells us there. Verse 6, The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou sh shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Okay. All you got to do, Cain, is do what's right and you'll be accepted. Just do what your brother did and you'll be accepted. But again, you know, his pride's hurt. He's got uh, an, a bad attitude about it and he's not wanting to obey God. And so God says as a result of that, sin's lying at the door or it's crouching at the door like an animal. And it's ready to jump on you again. Okay. And so, what we see is God is showing us that that is the way sin is. This is the first time sin is mentioned in the Bible. It's right here. It's like, it's waiting to jump on all of us. It's sitting at the door. It's like a tiger ready to jump on you. Very few people do you come across who have sinned a sin one time. They normally sin more than one time the same thing. They do it again. Because it's just waiting to jump on them again. It's like an animal. Okay. So we need to take the warning of God. We need to listen to the warning of God. That if we sin, then sin has a tendency to just like feed. It wants to just take over your life. And so it's ready again to jump on you. So we need to listen to the warning of the Lord. That sin is waiting at the door. Ready to jump over and take over our life again. Okay. Then he goes on and says this in verse 8. As a result of this, uh, he does not hear the warning of God. But he says, if you do well, look at verse 7 again. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire. He'll overpower you. And thou shalt rule over him. If you'll do what's right, you can rule over sin. But if you don't repent of this, then sin's going to be like an animal dominating, ready to jump on you again. To take over your life. Okay, so we need to listen to this warning that God gave Cain. Uh, look at the warning that, uh, of Peter, how Peter fell, etc., etc. Men in the Bible who fell. 
Then the scripture says this in verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. So his disobedience to God increased to a bad attitude. From there that sin was waiting to pounce on him, take control of his life. In fact, sin desired to have him again. He refused to repent, do what was right, so then it gets worse. It's a downhill, downhill spiral. It gets worse. And now he looks at his brother with jealousy and envy. Because his brother's was accepted and his wasn't. And he's jealous about that. So as a result of that, then the Bible tells us what happens. He kills his brother Abel. Literally, he, he cuts him. A very, very violent violent type murder so we have the first time that sin is mentioned in the Bible and the first time that murder is mentioned in the Bible okay then the scripture goes on and says this after Cain kills his brother verse 9 the Lord said unto Cain where is Abel thy brother and he said I know not so then he lies to cover up his sin now, does he not realize that he's talking to God? That God knows all things? And he's telling God that he doesn't know where his brother is? See, that's the delusion of sin. It just gets worse and worse and worse until eventually it caused the death of his brother. He's now a murderer. And then when God talks to him, you know, he hears this audible voice that his mom and dad told him. God often spoke to them in the garden with an audible voice. And he had never heard this audible voice before. And now he hears this audible voice come from God. Like it was hid from God. That's the deception and delusion of sin. Then he just bold-faced lies. I don't know. Then he goes on and he says this. Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10. He said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. And thou tillest, when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And so what Cain did was he tried to run from his sin. He tried to cover up his sin. And as a result of that, that brought greater judgment on him. Eventually God says, okay, now even the the earth itself is going to be against you. Okay? So there's nothing good about sin. Even the earth was against him. And he's like cast out as a vagabond, a wandering vagabond. The scripture tells us that he goes on and he goes into the land of Nod. And there a race of people, I say a race, a group of people come from him. The seed of Cain. The seed of man. Okay? And these men... Don't seek God. They are ignorers of God. Are you with me here? They ignore God. And this line of Cain, these descendants of Cain, create all kinds of in musical instruments, all kinds of things, which leads us now go to Ecclesiastes. He produces a race of people in the earth just like himself.
Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Hallelujah. Ecclesiastes 7, 29. Lo, this only have I found that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Okay, so now that because Cain is an outcast, he's cast out from the presence of the Lord. Even the earth is against him so that it doesn't yield its strength to him. Then he begins to, again, I say, produce a race of people in this city. And they are producing all kinds of musical instruments. What they're doing is they've sought out many inventions. They're ignoring God. They're not seeking God. They're not calling upon the name of the Lord. So in the place of that, then they are trying to fill that void by entertainment. They've sought out many inventions to replace that void that they have. And that's the same way it is today. Because this seed of Cain goes all the way from this time all the way to the end of the Bible. So that we have men seeking to replace God, ignoring God by entertainment and all these types of in inventions. Okay, which was in Ecclesiastes, which we read that, correct? Okay. Now the Bible tells us in Genesis 4... We go on a little further. What verse is that? 25? Can't see it hardly, but see. Yes. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. So we've got Abel's dead, and Cain's cast out. He's rejected. And he's over there, of course, producing a, a group of men. A seed that is ignoring God and replacing God with inventions. Now God gives Eve another man-child whose name is Seth. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Cain's descendants are not, but these will. Okay, And from this point, Seth, we have the bloodline of the Redeemer. That's why you have this red line right here. These are the descendants of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bloodline of the Redeemer. So this line is going to be calling on the name of the Lord, this seed. Lamech, we have the Word of God talks about Lamech. Bloodline of the promised Redeemer, we talked about that. Now, as a result of these descendants of Cain, the world, Genesis 6 verses 1 through 6, is getting worse. That type of man, that Canaanite type of man is just filling the earth. A people who ignore God, a people who aren't calling on God is just filling the earth. And wickedness is increasing. So Genesis 6, go there. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he, that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. So wickedness in the earth would just increase and increase. But God said in the midst of that, He said, My spirit is not always going to strive with man. That's serious. It's serious that if, if a person continues to ignore God, and seek out inventions to replace God and are not calling upon the name of the Lord, 
eventually what happens is the Spirit of God that once strove with that man, God will stop striving with them. He will literally give up on them. That's serious. See, I want God to strive with me. I want God, I want His Spirit to convict me. I want God's Spirit to deal with me. If I ever get into a place where God no longer is striving with me and convicting me, I am lost. I have no hope. And so that's what basically is happening in this place. It, the world has become so wicked that God just says, I'm not going to strive with man anymore. Verse 4. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they were children of them, the same became mighty men, which were of all men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, and the fowl of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so if you look up here on the chart here, we see this. The world became wicked. Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. If it wasn't for Noah, the whole race of mankind would have been destroyed. Now, <clears throat> the Lord said, I will destroy man from the earth except for Noah. Now, watch this. Going on then. You see the two lines here? Okay. They're still here today. Conscience is continuing here. Of course, God's fixing to judge this dispensation with a flood. He tells this man Noah to make an ark of gopher wood. Pitch it within, without, means atonement. Make it three layers. At this time, God has given the world space to repent, but they would not repent. Noah is warning constantly of the coming judgment as he's building this ark. He has to do many things. He has to provide for his family. He has to make a living for his family. He has to build the ark to not only be a, uh, the vessel for his salvation, but for anybody that will listen to him. So he's working for a living to provide for his family. At the same time, he's preparing the ark. At the same time, he's preaching. Okay? So, and he did not know when the flood was going to come. He just knew God said he was going to destroy the flood, uh, man from off the face of the earth. Except him and those that listened to the message to get into the ark. So this man has to regulate his days very carefully. Because he doesn't know when the flood's going to come. He doesn't know when it's going to take place. He just knows it's going to take place. So he's got to spend a certain amount of time providing for his family, a certain amount of time building the ark, and a certain amount of time preaching the word. So he's got to be very careful with his time because he doesn't know how much he's got. And the same thing goes for us. We don't know how long it's going to be before, you know, the coming of the Lord. Or even the tribulation period. But we've got to be, we've got to prepare, we've got to provide for our families. We've got to... Reach as many people as we can. Bring them into the ark of salvation. And at the same time, you know, that involves preaching. Okay. Got the point, right? So this man had to be very careful. So he's warning of the coming judgment. Now, at that point, from what I understand, it had never rained from the heavens. So they pretty much thought this guy was crazy. But the world most of the time looks at, at the 
the righteous, the people of God, that they're pretty crazy when they speak of judgment that's going to come. The conscient dispensation is going to end in judgment. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the ark that he built. You notice how fast you got to move from one thing to the other in this Bible study? There's no way that you can just sit there on one page for an hour. You got to really move through it. Okay. Let's see back. The ark that Noah built. Let's talk about the size of it. <clears throat> the cubits, if we look at it at 24 inches, uh, the cubit being 24 inches, it would have been 600 feet long, 100 feet wide, 60 feet high. 600 feet long, and that's a, if the cubit's two foot. Um, how many football fields is that? 600 feet long. That's two football fields, right? Two football fields in length. That's long. That's big. I mean, that's a modern-day ocean liner. That guy is building this thing out of wood and, and pitching it within and without, you know. That's a lot of work. To build that size of a ship, three layers high. So, you know, he, he, he understood what it's like to try to prepare for his family, provide for his family, build an ark, and preach at the same time. He had a major job on his hand. Two football fields long, 100 feet wide, very wide, 60 feet high. That is massive. That's, a, that's a, about a six-story building. The capacity, we're going to talk about the size of the ark and its, its ability. The capacity of the ark, 3,600,000 cubic feet. 1,000 boxcars could be put inside the ark. And the capacity of one boxcar, you can see it right there. The capacity of one boxcar is 18 to 20 cattle, 60 to 80 hogs, 80 to 100 sheep. We're talking about, you know, in size there. Uh, it could hold 100 Barnum circuses. So some people say, well... Was the ark big enough to hold all of those animals? Yeah, the answer is yes. Because the Bible says that God only, or Noah was only told to take in um, one, or, or one pair of every unclean, and then seven pairs of every clean. So if he was a clean animal, he, he took seven pairs so they could offer sacrifice to God. If it was an unclean animal, they only took one pair. So it's not true. You see those Bible stories where you have two of everything going in the ark. That's not true. Only uh, one pair of the unclean and then seven pairs of the clean for sacrifice unto God. But nonetheless, the ark was plenty and big enough to hold Noah and his family and then all of the animals that were there and all the food that they needed. It was plenty big. How many species were in the ark? No one really knows for sure, but possibly from sheep up in size, 290 rat to sheep in size, 757 rat down in size, 1,359. Of course, you know, if it was big dinosaurs, it wouldn't be big dinosaurs. Little baby dinosaurs would suffice. Of course, no, no water animals would need to be in there. But I do believe there were dinosaurs in the days of Noah. Okay. So anyway, this is the building of this ark. Now, God says, in, in bringing this Bible study to a close, Matthew 24, if you want to turn there, 
And we're going to start reading there. <clears throat> and we're going to compare the days of Noah with the coming of Christ. That's what the Word of God does in verse 37 of Matthew 24. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall be the coming of the, so the, coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding up the meal, the one shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Okay, so Noah was warning them about the coming judgment. The Lord has warned us about the coming judgment. And just like we don't know the day or the hour, Noah didn't know the day or the hour. All he was doing was just tell them, hey, you need to get right. And they were, of course, mocking, making fun of him, you know. And so the Bible tells us the story that all the animals entered in. You know, as I, if I was there and saw all these animals rushing to this boat... Having heard this man preach to me and having seen this man hundreds of miles away from water building an ark. And all of a sudden I see these animals run into the ark along with his family. I think that I, I would, you know, get the message and enter into the ark. But that's the hardness of the heart of man. So hard, he'd rather, he'd rather die. And so as a result of that, we know that Noah entered in the ark and he sat in the ark until God shut the door. When God shut the door, no man could open it. Zit. And then the flood came. The, the fountains of the deep broke up. Huge, huge waters filled the earth, you know. It lifted the ark above the highest mountain in the earth. It wasn't just a local flood. It was a, a worldwide flood. And so as they rose above the flood, all of these people that Noah had been preaching to and that were making fun of him, who had been eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, just going on with their normal daily routine, not preparing their souls, perished. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of details about all the gore and all the, uh, the timing, you know, the way they died and all of that. Thank you. It doesn't give us all those details. Hello. But you can just imagine what it was like as God shut the door and all of a sudden the waters start coming. And this water hitting them on the head. Anyway, you can embellish on the story if you want to and let the Holy Ghost bring to your spirit what you need to tell these people. But these people went crazy. Scratching. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but I know it. It's sort of scratching the side of the door, pounding on it. Just like David Huff sings that song, Noah. Noah. Trying to get into that ark. Couldn't get in there. 
And the Bible said the waters came and swept them all away. Children included. Now that doesn't mean to me that the children died and went to hell. What it does mean to me is because the parents didn't get ready and get them in the ark. They perished physically. The parent died physically and died spiritually and went to hell. I believe the children, they died physically, but they went to be with the Lord. I believe that. Okay. But it's your responsibility as a parent to raise your children. And I always teach this in Bible studies. In the, in the home Bible study. I always tell them, it is your responsibility to get your family in church. Because if you don't, your, your kids will suffer the judgment of God. Along with you. And boy, that makes some of them mad. I don't know why they get mad. Just get in the church, get right with God, raise your kids in the church. You'll be saved. Don't get mad at me for telling you the truth. But anyway, that's what happened. They were all swept away. God says this. He says that, and here's the point. When He lists these things that they were doing, He doesn't tell us that they were, you know, it doesn't tell us about all the gross sin they were involved in. He just simply says they were marrying, giving him, eating, marrying, giving him marriage, you know, all these normal things. And then the flood kept, took them by surprise. And so that's what's They were unprepared is the point. They did not get prepared. And that's the way the world is today. People are so busy, they don't have time for God. So busy going about the mundane, the everyday things that they don't prepare themselves to know God. And as a result of that, they will be judged. Okay, that's what the scripture says. Now, running through here, some comparisons. In the days of Noah, wickedness was great in the earth. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.13 that evil men and seducers will get worse and worse. It's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. That's what God's Word says. So if, according to a Search for Truth manual, these are the statistics that concerning the wickedness of men, evil men, and seducers getting worse. Since 1960, 1960, 300% increase in the crime rate. Since 1960, 300%. Okay? Since 1960, violent crime has increased by 550%. So is it getting worse and worse? Five million people experience a violent crime every year. Five million people. Nineteen million Americans' properties uh, property experience some crime concerning their property. Uh, robbing, uh, uh, arson, etc. Nineteen million Americans. So it is, in, it is getting worse. Those are just some statistics there. Okay, another sign. There was a large number of unholy marriages marrying and giving in marriage. Unholy marriages, which means people just have a tendency to get married, get divorced, get married, get divorced. You know, like they're trading a, trading a pair of shoes. That's an unholy marriage set up. Unholy marriages also include homosexuality. That is a prophecy that's in the Bible. Marrying and giving marriage. It is something that we see in our day. Homosexuals getting married to homosexuals. Lesbians to lesbians. 
That's going to bring the judgment of God in this country. Unholy marriages. Praise God. Used to be that you could live together. And, they, and the, 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 uh, uh, the government, I would say, or the authorities recognized this common law marriage. That's an unholy marriage. Amen. Seventy years ago, one in forty ended up in divorce. One in forty marriages in divorce. Today, one out of every two. Marrying and giving in marriage. Sign of the times. Oops. Many men of renown, the Bible says, in the days of Noah. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 12, and I believe that that's verse 4. I can't read it, but I believe it's verse. The Bible says that in the last days, the knowledge shall increase. In our generation, 90% of all scientists live now. 90% of all scientists live now. So knowledge is increases. Look at the, uh, the colleges, etc., etc. Look at, look at this computer that I'm using here. The technology for this computer is new technology. So knowledge is increasing. Church, I'm telling you, this is an awesome Bible study. Because to me, this, this is not just for people out there. It's for the church. Because there are a lot of people, there's a lot of people that are fitting in these categories. The world was unaware of approaching disaster. It caught them by surprise. As a snare shall it come on them that dwell on the earth. The judgment of God is going to catch them by surprise. Without warning. The Lord gave me a scripture the other night. And it, it, it's in Proverbs and the Bible says this, He that hardens his heart, being often reproved, will be cut off, and that without remedy. See, we've got to stay pliable in the hands of God. We've got to stay correctable in the hands of God. Because when we come to church, if God corrects us by His Word, and we harden our hearts to that correction, the Bible says we'll be cut off in that without remedy. Amen. See, there's a lot of people that think, hey, man, this is okay. But by, man, by like a snare, surprise, going to catch them off guard. And they'll be cut off. Praise God. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. All the earth was corrupt in the days of Noah. Say, all the earth was corrupt. In the last days, the Bible said there's going to be blasphemers. They're going to be unholy, unseparated. They're not going to want to walk a separated life. Unholy. Uh, blasphemers who speak evil of God. Unholy and unthankful. Unthankful. Not thankful. We live in that age, man, where people are not thankful for what God has done for them. They're not thankful for anything. Nothing's good enough. No matter what, even what God does for people, they still want more. Still unsatisfied. Still unthankful. That's a sign of the last days. 
blasphemers, unholy, and unthankful. Okay, I'm almost through. Noah's family enters into the ark to ride above the flood. Saints are caught up to escape the time of trouble. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. This Bible study preaches a pre-tribulation rapture. And so that's why you have these comparisons here that just as Noah was wrote above the flood, wrote above the judgment of the flood, God emptied the earth of that evil generation. It is possibly seen here that the saints rise above the, the, the tribulation period, the judgment of God. But you have to remember this as we go along here. I'm just going to throw this in that we will be saved from the day of the Lord. But does that mean that the six years in the tribulation period are the day of the Lord? Or is that day of the Lord that last time of the tribulation period? You see what I'm saying? Okay. <clears throat> Praise God. So anyway, the, the, the catastrophic, the wrath of God that will take place whenever that is, is seen as the day of the Lord. Last part of the tribulation, whatever, that we will not be a part of. Okay? Could be we're raptured out. It, to me anymore, I don't really care. I really don't. I'm, I'm being honest with you. I really don't care. Because if it's the rapture or if it's tribulation period, you better have a walk with God. Timing. Anyway, that's kind of what this is showing you. You can say this, though, or if you want to, if you're not sure about the timing of the rapture, just say this, well, the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming soon. And if you want to be protected from His wrath, you need to get in Him and be saved. Okay. Noah returns to the earth after the flood, and we know this for sure, that the saints are going to return with Christ at the time of trouble. The Bible tells us that. So these are some signs in the days of Noah and signs in our day that you can compare with and we know we're in the last days. We, we know we're in the days of the coming of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that in the days of Noah, the earth was destroyed by water. 2 Peter 3, 3-7 tells us that this earth is going to be destroyed now in the future by fire. And what, I, what, you, what we need to do now is we just need to pray that we're all ready. And pray for those people that you're teaching that Bible study to. That they're ready to meet the Lord. And we're going to go in the back and pray in just a minute. But let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this Bible study tonight. And we recognize, Lord Jesus, that your coming is near. We recognize today, Jesus, that as a snare... Shall it come upon all the earth to try them? Jesus, let us be faithful as was Noah. Faithful providing for our families. Faithful building the ark. Building the church. And faithfully preaching the word of God. Seeking to reach as many people as we possibly can. In Jesus' name. God just gave me revelation. See, I didn't have revelation of the ark in our time. Where does that fit? Well, we're busy providing for our families. We're busy building the church. And we're busy preaching the, the, the word of God. 
And we've got to be very careful what we do with our time because we don't have a lot of time left because we don't know when the Lord is going to come. In closing, after praying, I would, uh, I would just say this, that it looked like Noah was unsuccessful in his ministry because he only saved he and seven other people. He looked like a failure. Okay? But if you look at it, the big picture, he wasn't a failure. Because of what he did, eight people were saved, plus you and me. So he wasn't a failure in the ultimate sense of the word. But in his day, only eight people. That's not a big church to pastor. He was pretty much, if you look at it in numbers in his day, he was a failure. If you look at it numerically. But, you know... Ultimately, thank God he did that. Okay, we love y'all. We dismiss you to prayer and we'll have church at 6 o'clock. God bless you. <clears throat> this is the second lesson. First dispensation was innocence. Second dispensation was conscience. Third dispensation is human government. And so now the Lord has put, it, put the government of the earth into the hands of men. Oops, excuse me. Okay, Genesis 9-1, of course this is after the flood, they were in the ark for one year and 17 days, they, it comes to rest on Mount Ararat, about 500 miles from Mesopotamia where Noah started out, it rained 40 days and 40 nights, but they were actually in the ark for one year and 17 days, and so down there you see the ark resting um, brother, somebody could help me go in there and get my, my pointer. That might help us tonight. It's in, you have to get the key out of the cabinet, top right, up to the top there, about the second, midway down, and then it's in that desk in the middle drawer. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So anyway, the ark comes to rest in Mount Ararat, and as soon as, Noah enters or gets out of the ark with his family. The first thing he does is he offers a sacrifice unto God, so which is well-pleasing to the Lord because he puts the Lord first. Everything that Noah had before the flood, he took and he put it inside of the ark. And because he was willing to put everything he had inside of the ark, as a result of that, thank you, brother, he came out on in the world so to speak. Okay, the world was his by himself. He and his wife and his three sons and their wives, eight people come out of the ark, and they're the only ones in the whole earth. So if you put everything you've got into the kingdom of God, you will be well rewarded. It will be worth it. And so God tells him to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. The whole earth at that particular time is of one language and of one speech. Everybody spoke the same, same language. Genesis 11 verse 1 tells us that. God makes a covenant with Noah. Let's look in Genesis 9. And we'll look at this covenant that God made with Noah. This is a universal covenant. This covenant is for everybody. It's for Jews and Gentiles, all races of people. It's worldwide. Okay covenant with Noah 
This particular covenant next week when we're in the uh, book of Acts 15, we're going to be talking about this covenant with Noah because it's relevant for our time. This covenant is abiding upon us still today, just as human government is still abiding upon us today, okay? Chapter 9, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, and upon all that moveth upon the earth, upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand are they delivered. Okay, so man still has dominion over the earth. Verse 3, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. So now man is able to eat meat. And uh, he's able to eat all. Notice it says this, every, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. So under this covenant, it didn't matter what kind of, you know, animal it was. It could be eaten by the Gentiles or by man. It's universal. Now, when the Jews, the covenant God makes with the Jews, the law covenant, he restricts the Jews as to what they can eat. But as far as the covenant to the Gentiles, we are not restricted as to what we can eat as far as a moral type situation. You'll be wise not to eat certain things if you observe, you know, Leviticus chapter 11. But as far as morally, it doesn't affect your relationship with God. So when they came out of the ark, they were able to eat meat now, not just the vegetation that was there. He goes on and says, verse 4, But flesh which is the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. So you can't eat blood. That's forbidden. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it, at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. So that's basically where we get capital punishment. It's a biblical thing. It's still abiding today. That if you kill somebody by man, you will be put to death. Okay? So capital punishment is in the word of the Lord. It's called manslaughter. All right. Verse 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So if you murder somebody, then you are to be put to death by man. This is something God gave us. But it doesn't mean that you can't kill an animal. You can kill animals, but not men. Because men were created in the image of God. And to touch a man is to touch God. Okay. In verse uh, 7, And you be, you be you fruitful, and multiply, bring forth abundantly the earth, and multiply therein. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with them, saying, And behold, I have established my covenant with you and with your seed for, uh, after you. And then he, of course, gives the sign of the covenant, which is the rainbow there. Now let me go through these things again with you and, and elaborate just very briefly about this covenant with Noah, okay? Because it's still binding today, all of these things. There are seven, seven laws that God gave man in this covenant. 
Number one, we, we briefly talked about this, but also in this there's the prohibition of blasphemy. To blaspheme God. You cannot be blas you cannot blaspheme God. Number two, idolatry is forbidden. There's only one God. Number three, manslaughter is forbidden. Number four, theft is forbidden. Number five, incest is forbidden. Number six, disobedience to authority is forbidden. Number seven, eating of blood. Did y'all get that? Okay, if you didn't, you can come again in front of me later. And this opens up as we progressively go through the book of Genesis, these prohibitions. Okay? All right. Do you understand that? That that covenant with Noah is binding on you and it's binding on the Jews today. God requires this of us. Noah, of course, his three sons. Ham had four sons. Shem had five sons. Japheth had seven sons. You see that red line? What is that again? That's the bloodline of the Redeemer. That's right. Right there. Okay. So it's going to flow through Noah, but which one of his sons? It's going to flow through Shem. All right. Now, after the time of the flood, of course, man began to repopulate the earth, just as God told him to, to replenish it. So Ham is having children. Shem's having children. Japheth's having sons. So now the earth is being repopulated. And we're talking about... Um, it's, it's over a hundred years, I would say, from this time of them coming and resting in the earth again till the time they start trying to build this tower, the Tower of Babel. Let us build a...